You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Mike Melito. But we're in 2 Samuel chapter 13, and we have in, in the previous two chapters turned a corner with David. Everything up to this point with David has been awesome. Man after God's heart took down Goliath, would not take Saul's life, would let God deal with that, took the kingdom, took Jerusalem, gave glory to God, brought the ark back. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And then we turn the corner in chapter 11 where he has a major, major mishap and reminds us of something that we need reminded of sometimes. Even the best of men are only men at best. So when you look at what David did, you know, he's a man after God's heart and he does all these great things, but he reminds us again of broken humanity which it's important to really put that in perspective because anytime we look at someone in, in the Bible like David or Abraham or, or Jacob or, or these big generals of the faith, so to speak, they're still human beings and the Bible doesn't hold anything back from us. It shows us the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? But it was when David was supposed to be at war that he remained in Jerusalem and he screwed up royally. Do what you're supposed to do, by the way. Be where you're supposed to be. Right? And the prophet Nathan came and confronted him, and David admitted it, but, but the prophet pronounced judgment on him. And I'm reviewing this because we're going to start to see some of that judgment. We're going to start to see the shadow of the shadow king today. And it is dark. It is very dark. And Nathan told him, look, you're not going to die for this, but you, you are going to go through some stuff and your family is going to go through some stuff. The sword is never going to leave your house. Did he, did he have the grace of God? Absolutely, because he was supposed to die. But he had no real grasp of the grace of God. It was more the grace of God had a grip on him. Yes. And David, in this case, as much as we don't want to admit it, is our story. We didn't really get to say we were like David when he took down Goliath because we were more like Saul. And in this case, now we're confronted with our humanity. And the same is true for us. We have God's grace. We sing it. God's grace is extended to us. We receive God's grace. Things could be, should be a lot worse for us, but it doesn't necessarily mean, and in most cases it doesn't, that we don't have consequences, right? It doesn't mean that. But God's grace means he heals us of those things and walks through the fallenness with us. So we're two years later uh, when Joab came to the king and said, hey, come finish this battle. We think, this was last week's message, we think, okay, things are returning to normal. This is good, right? We went through this tough time. We're really tired of talking about it. It's, we don't like it. He goes to a battle. He wins a battle. He takes on a 75-pound crown. Anybody remember Dave having to wear weights on his head last week? <laughs> Your neck okay? No. <laughs> okay. Well, but we noticed something different this time. Every other victory David had, he gives praise to God for that victory. 
just openly. In this situation, we don't hear anything about David giving praise to God for the victory. We see him take this crown, but in about every other case, he gives the honor to God for that. And this was just my speculation, but I want to bring us back to it again because we're going to walk through some tough stuff and it's going to surface some things in your heart. But when we sin, or even are sinned against, sin can take the breath out of our worship. David knew he beat the enemy in that battle, but he also knew he was defeated by Bathsheba. And that probably took the wind out of his sails. Even in victory, it probably rang a little hollow after everything he had been through and everything Nathan said was going to happen. Now, it doesn't have to be that way for us, right? Our shortcomings are really more a reason to go to Jesus, right? That was perfect timing, whoever that was. <laughs> go to Jesus. Boom, boom. Okay. <laughs> the Apostle Paul said, I boast in my weakness because that's where God's grace and power shines through, right? So this is where we were left off. Today... We're going to go into chapter 13, and I want to kind of set it up because we're going to see this narrative over the next few weeks. And I want to tell you, this week, if there was a title for this or if there was a Hollywood movie for this, uh, so to speak, first of all, it would be Rated R or NC-17. So if you have kids in here, I'm not kidding. Maybe not today, all right? But I think this is like the origin story of a villain, right? Don't most characters in movies that are villains start out as good guys? Most of the time, right? Uh, the first one that comes to mind, I know, I'm a nerd. It's all right. There's nerds in here, but you don't even have to be a nerd to know who I'm going to talk about. I don't see Justin here, but I know he's never seen it. But Darth Vader is the first villain that I think of that actually started out as a good guy. He started out as Anakin, and, and he ends up wanting more power. Why? To save his wife and to bring peace to the galaxy? All good things. But he quickly finds out that that power corrupts him because it's from the dark side meaning the means were not good, and that made him a slave, and he became one of the most notorious villains of all time. We're still, they're still making shows about him. We're still fascinated with him. He started out good, right? In, uh, in one of the X versions of X-Men in Marvel in the 90s, uh, Magneto, uh, the, the main and most prolific enemy, and you're like, Pastor Mike, these are all comics. I know, like, this is where my mind went. I'm sorry. There's real-life heroes, too, but we, we learn life lessons from these guys, right? So he starts out as an innocent young boy at a camp in Nazi Germany watching his family being torn apart by Nazi Germany, and that scene of injustice plants a seed in his heart that would create in him a desire for power so he can make sure that kind of thing doesn't happen anymore. But he, it, he ends up turning into a villain for the same reasons. Now, my favorite hero movie, or, well, we, there's so many movies about this hero. There's really only one that's great, but and it doesn't matter. Batman. <laughs> Batman is my favorite. Now, just as a side note, I've never told you that I'm Batman, but I'm just going to say, you've never seen me and Batman in the same room at the same time. <laughs> you've I just, 
<laughs> Throwing that out there for consideration. But, <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to upset you. So, <laughs> so in, uh, in one of the more recent versions of Batman, we actually got to see a guy named Harvey Two-Face. And Harvey Two-Face started out as Gotham's knight in shining armor, prosecuting all these criminals. And he even has this quote that becomes tragically ironic later where he says, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And then he goes through this tragedy. He, he goes through an explosion that blows up half of his face, making him Harvey Two-Face, and kills his fiancée. And it turns him to where he's starting to flip a coin to decide whether or not someone gets to live, right? So all of these villains have an origin. Almost every time we read a story, a comic, a movie, anything about these things, there's something that we can sympathize with about that villain. Not so that we'll become villains, but perhaps so we can help prevent more villains from being created, just saying. And so we're going to see an origin, the origin of a villain. We're going to see a villain today, but the origin story of a future villain. Now, I just told you this is absolutely rated R passage, okay? So I don't see any kids in here, but it's, it's, it's a tough one. So 2 Samuel chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Some time passed since the victory last time we read like a lot of time. And David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And David's son Amnon was infatuated with her. Most versions says loved her. Now Tamar, her name literally translated means date palm. And date palms, if you want to look them up, maybe not now, you can if you want to. They're beautiful palm trees. In fact, I found this description uh, when I was doing the research this week. Massive and magnificent, the Canary Island date palm rules the landscape with its ar aristocratic size and beauty. It rules the landscape. So there's something to her that is striking. She's beautiful, right? And Absalom is her brother, and it's worth noting they're full-blood brother and sister. David has many kids with many different women. So there's lots of half-brothers and half-sisters. We've already covered, is the, is the Bible okay with that? No, the Bible's not okay with uh, him having all those wives. Yet again, another reason we're reminded even the best of men are only men at best. But he was a full-blooded brother. And he was, by the way, considered the most handsome man in all of Israel. So um, they got David and this wife, made really good-looking kids, apparently. Now, Amnon was a half-brother to Tamar, and he was the oldest son, the firstborn son of David, which would have made him the heir to the king, the kingdom, the throne. And the Bible says he loved her, but I want to tell you, I don't think he actually loved her. Pastor, but the Bible says he loved her. Well, there's a language problem here, Okay. We, in the English language, we have one word for love. And we use it in many different contexts, right? I love tacos. I just do. Especially street tacos. You know, a little steak, onion, cilantro, lime. Mm. 
really good. I love that, right? I love Danya, my wife. Do I mean the same thing? Hopefully I love her in a very different way than I love tacos, <laughs> right? <laughs> and yet we have the same word for many different things. I love my dogs. I love my kids. Some of you are like, dogs are family, but they're still not my kids, right? I love my football team, whatever team that might be. <laughs> and I love my parents. It's the same word, different meaning. Now, in Greek, we know that, that uh, love has three different words, in some cases four, and sometimes periods of time, four different words, all meaning some different version of love, some for lust, some for friends, some for, you know, just all-around love. But Hebrew, and that's what this was originally written in, is similar to ours in that it had one word, ahava. And so that word, ahava, would have been used to say, I love you, but it also could be used to say, I like you, I want you. So that's the word we have here. So yes, the Bible says he loved her, but that I don't think it's the kind of love that we think about that's good. I think he lusted after her, and we'll see that here in a minute. Verse 2, Amnon was frustrated to the point of making himself sick over his sister Tamar because she was a virgin, but it seemed impossible to do anything to her. Amnon had a friend named Jonadab, a son of David's brother Shemiah. Jonadab was a very shrewd man, and he asked Amnon, why are you, the king's son, so miserable every morning? Won't you tell me. And Amnon said, I I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. <laughs> so they were related. They were half-brother and sister, but that they didn't live in the same house. Okay, lots, I think we could understand that. There's lots of people who are related don't live in the same house, right? So that meant really they, if when they saw each other, they really only saw each other in public and in passing, in the hall, so to speak, right? But he wanted to spend time with her. Or in this sentence, it says, he wanted to do things to her. And he was sick because he couldn't figure out a way to make that happen. They're, they had a, a relationship problem. They were related. Shouldn't happen. They had a distance problem. They, they didn't live in the same place. So what, that, that's probably good. She was a virgin, which was a whole other relationship problem. Virgins were kept on, they were guarded then. And in fact, parents at that time would have to offer proof to a potential husband of their daughter's virginity before they would get married. That virgins were protected. So that was a problem. And, and Amnon knew all this. And he's like, there's no way. There's no way for me to ever satisfy this love I have for Tamar and his friend Jonadab, who's actually his cousin, comes along and says he's a shrewd man. Shrewd why? Because he could tell something's wrong, maybe, but also cunning, conniving, not good, right? Verse 5, Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend you're sick. When your father comes to see you, say to him, please, let my sister Tamar come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare a meal in my presence so I can watch her and eat, watch and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be sick. 
When the king came to him, Amnon said to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and make me a couple of cakes in my presence so I can eat from her hand. Jonadab's not a good friend. <laughs> he's not a good friend. He's, he's, uh, if you have any friends like that, that are, uh, you know, going to help you connive to do something evil, um, don't get rid of that friend, right? It, it's, he's not a good friend. You could argue that Jonadab might be doing this and being so accommodating to Amnon because he knows Amnon might be the next king. But even then, yes men are not good for leaders, right? Especially yes men who will help them cover their leaders' wrongdoing so they can get what they want, Right? even if they think the ends justifies the means. But when you have to lie or do something to cover up your real intentions, that's not a good thing. That's the first sign you should know, I probably shouldn't do this thing, right? I probably shouldn't do it. If it wasn't clear enough that this was incest, which was just as bad then as it is today. It was a full-on act of evil, and they knew it well enough to know we've got to set up this situation. We've got to be dishonest. Listen, can I just tell you, brothers should protect their sisters. Brothers should protect their sisters. Families should protect one another. This is it's such a major violation what's going to happen in such a major way because not only is it a violation, it would be a violation no matter who did it, but it's from somebody that should be protecting you. One of the things that I find most outrageous about human trafficking in this world is it's most of the time it's family members doing that to their children. And lest you think that's just overseas in India or some place where you're like, how can they live like that? It's right here in the U.S. too. We have family members that take advantage of family members. And I want to tell you today, brothers, you are supposed to protect your sisters. Fathers, you are supposed to protect your children. This goes, what he's doing, he's making a plan to not only not to protect, but to harm it's sick, it's twisted, it's evil. And it's for sick reasons, it's for twisted reasons, and evil reasons. Now, I, I want to just remind you, none of what we find in the Bible is an endorsement for the behaviors we see all the time in the Bible. The reason why we have passages like these and others like them is because the Bible is a book of truth. The good, the bad, the ugly. It holds nothing back because God knows on this side of heaven we're going to deal with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Could you imagine if we had a word of God that was sterile? We'd be stuck figuring, what is so wrong with us? And yet we can read God's word and say, oh no, this is humanity's story. And what's amazing is God comes through every time. But this was not good what they're planning to do. Verse 7, David sent word to Tamar at the palace, please go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare a meal for him. David has no idea what's about to happen. Even though Nathan told him the things that were going to happen in his family, 
The things even that David did, manipulate, abuse power, lie and kill, are all coming back to roost. Remember, we're in the shadow now. We talked about for the first half of this, your kingdom come. We are now in the shadow king part of this passage. And he is in the shadow. He has no idea what is about to happen. It's all coming back around. Galatians 6, 6, verse 7 through 9. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap destruction. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life. That's in the New Testament. We're seeing this right now come to pass in David's life. Did God spare his life? Yes, but he's about to reap what he sowed. He sowed into the flesh, and from the flesh, he is about to reap destruction. Remember, forgiveness does not automatically mean a lack of consequences. I might be forgiven of abusing my body with substances or gluttony, but I still might get heart disease. Right? I still might have to live with the consequences in my body of the things that I do. Today, uh, we, we discussed this. I know Pastor Nathan's going to suggest that perhaps David was too busy or preoccupied to notice any kind of irregularity here. Wait a minute. Your half sister, who you ever only see in passing, you want me to send her to you because her making food in front of you is going to make you feel better. Anything seem off about that to you? Right? David may have been a man after God's heart and good at leading a nation, but he was not a great father. Fathers, we can inadvertently allow things that will harm our kids into their lives if we're too busy to notice or care or passive. Parents, it's true for all of us. It started with Adam, right? You're like, how does this have to do with Adam? Adam was passive. When we read about Eve eating the fruit, Adam was standing right there doing nothing. It's in our blood. It's in our roots, guys, to do nothing. We've got to reject that. We're not created to be passive, Right? One could argue that the passivity of men today is the gateway to all the evils that we see. It was true for Adam and Eve. He doesn't stop her from eating the fruit. It allowed all the evil in her life, in his life, and in our lives. All because of passivity. We're not created to doing that, to, to be passive. We're created to be engaged in battle to defend, fight for what's good, be gatekeepers for our families. And those we mentor, David was not doing that. He, he somehow missed something that was off here. And he goes ahead and he sends his daughter to Amnon. Verse 8. Then Tamar went to his house while Amnon was lying down. She took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his presence and baked them. She brought the pan and set it down in front of him, but he refused to eat. Look at the conniving here. Amnon said, everybody leave me, everybody leave. This is starting to get more and more uncomfortable. Bring the meal to my bedroom, Amnon told Tamar, so I can eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and went to her brother Amnon's room. And when she brought them to eat, he grabbed her and said, come sleep with me, my sister. All this strength that he didn't have, he suddenly had. 
and he grabs her. There's scenes like this I read in the Bible where when I picture it, I just want to like jump into the story and stop things from what, stop what's about to happen from happening. There's just scenes in life. It's like watching a train wreck. You're like helpless to stop it, but you're like, David, don't send Tamar. Tamar, don't go. Tamar, don't go to his bed. And the things keep happening. He faked the sickness long enough for her to get close enough to him so that he can grab her. Some have speculated that he probably tried to figure out how his father seduced Bathsheba, and that's what he came up with, which is how this tragedy is the fruit now of David's sin. Our sin, our passivity, can pass two generations. It may even be that the worst punishment is not our punishment at all, but what choices we make that will end up putting our kids through hell. What seeds our choices will plant and what our kids will turn out to be because of them. What one generation does in moderation, the next will do in excess. And we're seeing some of this right here, right? And we see that today, by the way, right? Just in our society, in, in this nation where we are, if you look decade over decade, one generation to the next gets more and more excessive. It's the, what progresses the further a society gets from the Lord, right? But we see that, and we see this generation doing that. Verse 12, don't, my brother, she cried, don't disgrace me for such a thing should never be done in Israel. Don't commit this outrage. Where could I ever go with my humiliation? And you, you would be like one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Please speak to the king, for he won't keep me from you. Everybody knows this is wrong, Amnon. Don't do it. You're going to disgrace me. You're going to look like a fool. And then she says something totally weird when you, when you look at it. Talk to the king. I'm sure he won't withhold me. So she's saying, ask David first, and he'll probably give me over to you to do this legally, as if there was such a thing. And you're like, why would she even say that? I believe she was desperate and trying to grasp at straws for anything to get out of that situation right then and there, because I can't imagine for a minute David would be like, oh yeah, yeah, go ahead and get with your half-brother Amnon. I can't imagine that would happen. So why is she saying that? You know why? Because she's appealing to a higher power at that moment. She's saying, don't do this, Amnon. Verse 14, but he refused to listen to her, and because he was stronger than she was, he disgraced her by raping her. Her first act of sexual intimacy was an act of violence. We all have been praying, especially, we pray every, over every message, but especially this week, because we understand, statistically even, that there are many in this room that knows exactly how that feels in a way that I don't understand. And I, this may be surfacing some things for you. Please know 
that Jesus is able to heal these wounds. It may take time, but he will walk through them with you. And you're here today, not by accident. This is God's word. He doesn't want you to avoid these things in your life. He wants to pull them out. He wants to give you freedom. And really, the only way to experience freedom from something like this is through Jesus, because he does, in fact, take our shame. Hear this from a heart of compassion today, not something that's just wanting to stir the pot. This was a violation that she had no control over, and she got all the shame. Her body had been used against her will, and she was left with shame. Verse 15. So Amnon hated Tamar with such intensity that he, the hatred he hated her with was greater than he loved the love he had loved her with. Get out of here, he said. This is how we know it's lust and not love, right? Love is self-sacrificing. Lust and self-sacrifice don't exist in the same universe. Love begets love, but, but lust will always turn into hatred. It will always turn into resentment, disgust, with ourselves even. So we hate the thing, we hate the person, and ultimately ourselves. I read a tragic article this week. It was a, it was a, a police officer who had a, a woman on the side from his marriage. I think they said for four months, and then when... Things were going to surface. I, I Don't quote me on it, but basically the situation was he painted her as mentally ill and went and arrested her and said she was mentally ill and put her away, and then they found out she's not mentally ill. He was just trying to shut her up. This was somebody he got intimate with. So the, the principle is true. Here, there, everywhere. Lust will turn into Hatred. It says, the hate he hated her with was more than the love he ever loved her with. Some of that was because of his own self-disgust. We do that to ourselves when we sin, particularly when it has to do with lust, whether it's lust over another person, lust over belongings, lust over food, I don't know. All the appetites of the flesh we end up resenting those things if we give in to them and being disgusted with ourselves. And that's what we see here, verse 16. No, she cried, sending me away is much worse than the great wrong you've already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. Instead, he called to the servant who waited on him. Get this away from me. Throw her out and bolt the door behind her. He couldn't even say her name. Get this away from me. Amnon's servant threw her out and bolted the door behind her. Now Tamar was wearing a long sleeve robe because this is what the king's virgin daughters wore. She stopped along the way and grabbed some coals, crushed them up, and put ashes on her head, which is a sign of mourning, and tore the long sleeve robe she was wearing, which also was a sign of mourning, and put her hand on her head and went away crying out. Some versions say crying bitterly. She was wearing her shame. Throw this out.
probably pleading with him the whole way, enough to where the servant had to, in these words, throw her out. And I could hear it. It says bolt the door. I, this dramatic effect, I don't know. You can hear the door shutting and locking. You're done. That's how it ends for so many. Some of you are like, Pastor, where's God in all this? Well, you may have noticed by now in this passage, we don't hear any mention of God. Verse 20, her brother Absalom said to her, has your brother Amnon been with you? He just knew. He just knew as soon as he saw her. Be quiet for now, sister. He is brother. Don't take this thing to heart. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in the house of her brother Absalom. Absalom knew what happened. He, he is a good brother. He could tell by the hurt on her face. That, and he knew his half-brother as well and his crowd, Jonadab. And the words he says are, are just... I mean, what do you say? He says, don't take this to heart. I almost read that and kind of smirk, like, oh, okay. Thank you. Now I'm better. But what could he say? Right? It's probably maybe the most comforting thing you could say if it was followed by, and I think maybe the notion was there, don't take this to heart. I will take it to heart. I'm going to take you in. And I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to bring justice. Because in a situation like that, one of the, one of the most, she, she even says to, to Amnon, don't do this thing, don't throw me out, that's even worse than what you did. Injustice and the lack of justice in those situations just drives that nail in all that much deeper. A lack of justice is a lack of peace. And so he says, don't take this to heart. I will. And he takes her in. Verse 21, when King David heard about all these things, he was furious. And that's all it says. When King David heard, he was furious. Not, he got some men together and went and took Amnon. Not, he pulled the court together and put him on trial. He was furious. Oh man, I hate when that happens. That's terrible. And Absalom sees this. He sees what happens to his sister and he sees what's not done about it. You want to know why there's so much hatred and desperation and bitterness in this world? It really is a lack of justice. We see it everywhere. We see it everywhere. From in, in, in our schools, when things are done to our kids and there's no discipline, to in traffic. We had someone hit our fence at our house years ago. The police came, literally did nothing. The guy was still there. Now, I will say this for the guy who did it. He came back the next day with his dad, and he rebuilt the fence. But that was the Lord's blessing. 
But nothing, the police did nothing about it. We see it in our leadership. We see injustice everywhere. And what's it do? It makes us feel unsettled. It makes us feel angry. It makes us feel agitated. It makes us feel desperate. And then we see that get played out. People who aren't getting justice begin to do desperate things, which heaps on more injustice. And it just keeps feeding on itself. Our kids, when they see injustice in the home, Hatred increases. Parents, when we don't deal with things and divvy out justice when our kids do wrong things in front of all the other kids, we are creating a completely unstable world for them. A world that either will cause them to fall apart or cause them to hate in ways that will control their lives. And Absalom sees, all we see here is David was furious. Nothing else was done. Verse 22, Absalom didn't say anything to Amnon, good or bad, because he hated Amnon since he disgraced his sister Tamar. He hated Amnon, and justifiably so. Right? That lack of justice sows those seeds of desperation, and we can understand this, I think. Hatred isn't good for us. And we watch as this hatred ends up turning Absalom into something. It's his origin story. But we understand why he, he, the hatred's there. Some of you are like, you don't need to explain this anymore to me, Pastor. Something like that has happened in my family, and I hate the people who did it. I hate them. I get it. Sort of. I mean, I would imagine if I find out something like that happened, I might end up in jail. But David just gets angry. David's her father. This happened to his daughter. And he just gets angry. And we're left with this story. And you're kind of left with, why is this even in the Bible? What good can come out of a situation like this? This is why we have the cross. This is why the cross had to happen. Remember when we were receiving communion, I took a moment to remind you that the cross was for all sin that ever happened, this, all the sin that's happening now, and all the sin that's ever going to happen. That's what's so amazing about the cross. It took all the sin from all humanity, from all time, all the shame, Tamar's shame went to the cross with Jesus. I'm going to throw out a hard pill to swallow for us today. Amnon's sin went to the cross with Jesus. This is the reason why we can take anything to Jesus because he's already bore it on the cross. 
our shame and even our offenses. And the only thing that ends a cycle of evil in your life is the cross. I said it earlier, our sin affects generations, but it doesn't have to. The cross helps us become chain breakers, breaking a chain, a pattern of sin in our family. When we take our sin, we take our shame, we take our pain, we take our hatred and those things to the cross of Christ. He stands with us, he stands with you to say, no more. No more will this define you. No more will this pattern define your family. No more will you be identified by your sin and your shame. I will define you. And I define you as beautiful. I created you. I will establish you and establish a new pattern for your life. And he'll take ashes and turn it into beauty because of the cross. Because of the cross. Yes, even what we read there. 2 Corinthians 5.17, favorite passage of all time. If anyone is in Christ, he or she, anyone, is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.